uh, Talkville Church. Um, and you can bring your questions with you. I uh, would love to have you come and join for that. Uh, next Saturday, following Saturday the 21st, we're going to have a work day. So we're going to tidy up outside and do a little moving around, cleaning, fixing things inside. So there'll be tasks for all skill levels. So we have a whole bunch of different things. Uh, we have worked on eight or, we have eight or nine different projects that we could use help with. So uh, it would be great if we can have uh, some people come. So that's going to be 10 to noon, and then we'll have lunch at noon on the 21st. In three weeks, on May 29th, which is Memorial Day weekend, is uh, the Talbotville Community Memorial Day Parade. And uh, that happens Sunday morning from 9 to 10. Uh, so gather at 8.30 in the church parking lot. The parade begins at 9. It goes up to the cemetery. You may not know if you're not familiar with this neighborhood. There's a cemetery dating back to the Civil War um, that is uh, right sort of tucked up behind these two streets next to us. So the parade goes up there and then comes back here to the church before worship service. So I um, invite you to join for that, in which is in three weeks. I think that's all our announcements today. Uh, let me begin uh, in Revelation chapter 4. The Apostle John sees a vision of heaven and uh, he sees people praising God in these words. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And they go on and say, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So, George, would you come to lead us in our first hymn, Holy, Holy, Holy. Happy Mother's Day to everyone, and to the guys as well, because where would we be without them? Amen. I thought I was going to say Happy Spring, but it appeared to have snuck away again. As we sing today, there are three of the hymns that have nice harmonic parts, and uh, I would encourage you, if you know the parts, sing them. So if you take your hymnals, please, and turn to number 251, Holy, Holy, Holy. Oh, no. 
our scripture reading for today is from Psalm 107, which you can find on page 599 in your pew Bible. That's Psalm 107. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble, and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. They cry, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. For they had rebelled against the words of God, and he spur and, sorry, and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death, and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the, day, to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them, and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love for his wondrous works to the children of man, and let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in song and joy. Amen. It's a wonderful psalm that talks about God's deliverance in many different um, many different ways, gives a few different pictures of that throughout the psalm, how God meets us where we are and also brings us to himself. Um, so let's go on to pray right now uh, this morning. Uh, as it's Mother's Day, I want to focus on praying uh, for mothers, um, but this is a time to bring our prayer requests to the Lord. So let's pray together. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, you are glorious, you are good, you are faithful to your children. Like a mother, your love is steadfast and sacrificial, fierce and tender. We thank you that we can rest in the shadow of your wings. We thank you today for the mothers among us. We lift them up to you in prayer. We pray for those who are preparing to be mothers, for those who are uh, expecting, those who are pursuing adoption or foster care, for those who will become stepmothers. Give them courage and patient endurance in times of pain or uncertainty. Prepare the way for them. Uh, to embrace their new calling. We pray for new mothers. Grant that their sense of wonder and joy and dependence on you would daily increase as they see their children grow. 
Sustain and encourage them through seasons of sleeplessness, weariness, or anxiety. Hold them and their children in your hands. We pray for mothers with children at home. Grant them wisdom in ordering their lives and pursuing their callings as mothers, as wives, as members of your church, and as stewards of your creation. Continue to refine their character day by day. We pray that as their children naturally imitate and reflect them, that their children would ultimately be led to imitate and reflect Jesus Christ. We pray for mothers whose children are grown up. Lord, give them grace to become even more deeply rooted in their identity in you. As their children go out from under their authority and protection, give them perseverance to hold up their children before you in prayer each day. And we pray that they would continue to be a source of stability and wisdom of tough and tender love. We also remember mothers and children who carry heavy burdens in their hearts today. We pray for mothers who have lost children through miscarriage or stillbirth, for those whose children have died, for those who long for children but are unmarried or infertile. We pray that you would comfort them, O oh Lord. We pray for mothers whose children have strayed far from you or who have become estranged from their families. Grant that they may know that you share their sorrow. Give them strength to persevere in love. We pray for children who have been hurt by a mother's abuse or neglect. May they know your promise. Even though a mother may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. And we pray for children who have lost mothers. Help them to pour out their hearts to you and to others in the body of Christ. Comfort them in their grief. Be a refuge for them and grant that they may abide in you. And Lord, finally, your word reminds us that our family is not only our blood relatives, but because of the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross, we who believe have been brought into the family of God. And so we pray you continue to raise up spiritual mothers in the church who would open their homes and their hearts to younger people who would share with them not only the good news of Jesus Christ, but also their very own lives. We pray that through the faithful service of godly women, that your, your name would be glorified and that your kingdom would be extended here in Vernon and to the ends of the earth. Pray all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to we'll continue by taking the offering this morning. Uh, if you are visiting here, please don't feel any pressure to give financially, uh, but we invite you to drop a welcome card into the plate. Um, let me ask Ben and Megan, would you be up for taking the offering? Is that cool with you? Okay, thank you. Um, and then after the offering, I'll invite us to sing the doxology.
stand as we sing the doxology found in your bulletin.
Amen. Please be seated. At this time, children who are going to Children's Church can feel free to follow Kobe. Uh, those of you who are here, please uh, turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. Page 998, if you're looking in one of the few Bibles. We are going through the Gospel of Mark uh, and looking at who Jesus is and why he came and what it means to follow him. So let's read Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. Here we go. They, that is Jesus and his disciples, came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. And no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city, and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Let's pray. Lord, we... Thank you for your word. We pray for your help from your Holy Spirit. Give us insight. Give us understanding. Help us to receive the message you have for us this morning. We pray that you would be at work among us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So several years ago, I was leading two different Bible study groups through the Gospel of Mark. And when we came to this passage, the two groups had very different reactions. One group I was leading was a group of college students, and we met on a college campus, 
And most of them found this story weird and hard to relate to. They asked questions like, do Christians have to believe in demon possession? Is that real? And they also didn't like what happened to the pigs. They said that's gratuitous violence against innocent animals, depriving people of their livelihood for no apparent reason. They were turned off by the Jesus described in this story. Now the second Bible study group had the almost opposite reaction. And the second Bible study group I was leading uh, was in a homeless shelter. And most of the people who were there that evening were in recovery from some kind of addiction or alcoholism, drug, drug or alcohol addiction. And that group was drawn to this story. And they said, I know what that is like. I can relate to that man. I know what it's like to have a self-destructive pattern that spirals out of control. And you know you're destroying yourself, but you can't stop yourself and nobody else can stop you either. And they were drawn to this Jesus who could rescue even the most tormented soul. Now, what's your initial reaction? I wonder as I was reading the story, what was your initial reaction as I was reading it? Are you turned off? Are you drawn in? Now, we see these two responses actually within the story itself. So the townspeople were turned off by Jesus, and they wanted him to go away just as quickly as he had come. But the man who had been healed was drawn to Jesus, and once he had encountered Jesus and been healed by Jesus, he never wanted to leave Jesus' side. Now let's dive into this story that can provoke such different reactions. Now this story follows the same pattern as the story we looked at last week, if you weren't here last week, we looked at the end of chapter 4, and Jesus and his disciples were sailing across the lake, or rowing across the lake, and they hit a great storm, and Jesus calmed the storm, and there was a great calm, and at the end the disciples were afraid as they considered who Jesus was. So a great storm, a great calm, and a great fear. And it's actually the same order we see in this story. So I've used the same title as last Sunday. I don't usually use the same sermon title two weeks in a row, but the point is these stories are right next to each other for a reason. You see, last week, the story was about an external storm in the circumstances the disciples faced on the lake, and this week it's about an internal storm, something that's completely unmanageable going on inside this man living in the graveyard. So both stories begin with the great storm, and then verse 15 uh, shows us the great calm that Jesus produced, the man sitting there clothed in his right mind. And third, people respond to Jesus with fear. The people were afraid, also in verse 15. So let's look at the story under these three headings. First, the great storm in verses 1 to 7. Jesus and his disciples, they finally arrive on the other side of the lake, and immediately, Jesus, he almost gets accosted by this man, the way it's described. This man comes at him, Coming, comes out of the tombs. Now, when most of us think about a cemetery, we think about a place that is peaceful and dignified and well-maintained and sort of a nice place if you want to go for a walk or have some quiet time to reflect and meditate. But these tombs were not like that. These tombs were limestone caves carved into the side of the hill and they were, and, and dead bodies were put in the caves to decompose 
But these tombs were considered unclean. They were considered a place to avoid. Sort of like an abandoned housing project with boarded up windows and broken glass everywhere. Now occasionally, people who had no other place to live would live in some of these burial caves, along with the dead bodies. Uh, because they had no other place to live and at least that provided some shelter from the elements. But you sort of never knew who you would find in a place like this. So it's not exactly the kind of place you would go for a stroll. Uh, it was a little bit like a homeless person finding shelter under a bridge or in an abandoned building today. And furthermore, verse 1 tells us this was the country of the Gerasenes. In other words, it was the wrong side of the lake. People raised pigs there, and every Jewish person knew the pigs were considered unclean. And most likely, the pigs were being raised in order to feed the, the Roman military forces that occupied the area. So most people would have thought of that place as enemy territory. No respectable individual, let alone a religious leader, would choose to hang out there, and yet it's where Jesus goes. And it's where this man lived. Now consider just what it might have felt like to be this man. Once, he had a home and a family. Perhaps when he was growing up, perhaps even as an adult. But now he was estranged homeless, finding shelter in caves, burial caves. Once he had friends, acquaintances, now all his relationships were ruined and no one sought out his company anymore. Once he had interacted freely with people in his society and now the only thing people tried to do is lock him up and he would terrify them. Once he had felt like a human being and now he was living like a wild animal. Once he had wanted to live, and now he only wanted to die, he's constantly cutting himself with stones, tormenting himself and anyone who came across his path. No one cared about him, and even if someone had cared, no one had the power to help him. The only thing people tried to do was restrain him, and they couldn't even do that. No one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. No one had the strength to subdue him. And then this man encountered Jesus. Now on the one hand, he's powerfully attracted to Jesus. Verse six says, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. At one level, he's recognizing Jesus' authority. But on the other hand, he's resisting that authority with all his might. He starts shouting at Jesus. He says, what have you to do with me? Which basically means, why are you messing with me? Don't torment me. Sort of like, a drug dealer doing his business on a street corner and he looks up and sees the narcotics unit from the police approaching from all directions and shining their spotlights in his face. And he says, no, I know who you are. You're out to get me. I don't want to see you. That's how this man is reacting to Jesus. What have you to do with me? Why are you messing with me? Why are you coming into my territory? He's been living an absolutely miserable existence but he's resistant to the one person who could actually help him. You see, at the beginning, he sees Jesus not as a savior, but as a threat. And verse 10, the first 
thing he asks Jesus is it says he begged him earnestly not to send the evil spirits far away. They're killing him, but he doesn't want to part with them. Now, there are many people in the world who are living an absolutely miserable existence. And yet they, their initial reaction is to resist and refuse the help that they most need. Now, verse 9 tells us that this man didn't just have one evil spirit living inside him, but he was inhabited by a legion of evil spirits. Now, a legion was the largest unit of the Roman army that included more than 5,000 soldiers. Now, some of you might ask, what is all this about evil spirits? Is that just an ancient way of talking about mental illness? And the answer is, it's not that simple. The New Testament offers uh, care carefully distinguished between a variety of human afflictions. So there are physical illnesses that afflict people, there are mental disturbances that afflict people, and there are evil spirits that afflict people. And the Bible doesn't put all those things in the same category. It acknowledges that they all exist, that they're all real, um, uh, but not, they're, they're not the same as, as each other. Uh, now, I don't want to get into a whole bunch of detail about evil spirits. If you have questions about that, happy to talk more about it later. Uh, this is the most extensive and extreme description of a demon-possessed person in the Bible. So it's the longest description, Mark, uh, verses 1 through 7 is quite an extensive description of his life. But this story isn't only relevant to people who are literally demon-possessed. So I don't want to get hung up on that. Uh, the specifics of that. The story is relevant to anyone with a storm raging inside them. Anyone with something that threatens to overwhelm their life. Now, uh, perhaps you can relate to the description of the man's condition in one way or another, or perhaps you have a friend or a loved one who perhaps you're trying to figure out how to help. And you feel like there's some parallels to that experience, the despair that this man experienced, the resistance to being helped. The, uh, this man had surely burned bridges and sabotaged relationships and alienated people who were previously close to him. No one could restrain him, and he couldn't restrain himself. So that's how the story begins. That's the great, that's the storm that's raging inside this person. But second, we see that Jesus comes on the scene, and Jesus acts, and Jesus' action produces a great calm. Consider what Jesus does here. First of all, Jesus doesn't shrink back from this man who everyone else was terrified by. Jesus didn't turn around and run away when the man initially accosted him. Jesus was tenacious. And verse 8 says Jesus was saying to him, come out of the man, you evil spirit. In other words, Jesus didn't just say that once, but Jesus persisted despite his initial resistance. You see, no matter how great the storm that is raging, that may be raging inside you, you are not too far gone for Jesus to come near. And you are not too messed up for Jesus to heal. 
and you are not so lost that Jesus can't find you. You see, Jesus doesn't stand at a distance peering at us with disdain and disgust. He doesn't wait for us to fix ourselves. He approaches us with fearless confidence and with saving grace. Even this man, whom no one else could or would want to deal with. You see, if Jesus could save and heal and restore this man, surely he can save and heal and restore anyone. No matter how disturbed, no matter how afflicted, no matter how restless, no matter how alienated a person may be, no matter how full of anguish or rage or fear or hatred, no matter how deeply they're locked into self-destructive patterns that they just can't stop, no matter how much they have hurt themselves and others around them, Jesus is stronger than all the forces of evil that afflict us. He's stronger than even our resistance inside us, and he has come to set his people free. Look at verse 15. It's a pretty amazing verse, considering where the story started. The one who had had the legion was sitting there, clothed, and in his right mind. He went from shouting at Jesus, seeing Jesus as an enemy, to sitting at Jesus' feet in the posture of a disciple. He went from being naked, in fact, the Gospel of Luke says he hadn't worn clothes for a long time, and bleeding from self-inflicted wounds to being clothed with dignity and honor. He went from being out of his mind to being in his right mind. This deeply, deeply, deeply troubled man found peace with God through Jesus Christ. It was a remarkable change. Now, this man is an extreme example. It's one of the most extreme examples you can find in the Bible of a troubled and afflicted person. But the whole story is simply a picture of what it means for anyone to become a follower of Jesus. To pass from death, he's literally living in the graveyard, to life. To, pass, to go from fragmentation to wholeness, from restlessness to peace from alienation to having a place with God. You know, I know many, many people from a variety of backgrounds and experiences can testify to that peace that Jesus can bring to a troubled soul. In fact, many of you have shared from your own experiences and in many different ways how Jesus has brought peace with God into your life. Let me ask, have you found that real peace with God? Maybe you haven't yet found that. Maybe you're still looking for that, still restless. Long ago, Augustine, who was an early leader of the church, he prayed this. He said, Lord, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. So whoever you are and whatever you might be battling, Jesus invites you to come to him. To come and sit at his feet and be clothed in his righteousness and honor and let his presence and his word bring peace, bring peace to your troubled mind. If Jesus could save and heal and restore this man, surely he can save and heal and restore anyone who comes to him. Now, the transformation 
doesn't always happen as immediately and completely as it seems to happen in this story. Sometimes it does, but even in this story, there's resistance, right? The man initially resists Jesus. The demons don't immediately leave just the moment they see Jesus. It took some back and forth, but in the end, Jesus prevailed, and Jesus brought a great calm, a great peace. So we've seen the great storm raging inside this man, the great calm that Jesus brought, and third, let's consider where we started, how people respond to Jesus in this story. With a great fear. Now, we see sort of two divergent responses to Jesus at the end of this story. People go two different pathways. So the first group is the townspeople, and verse 15 says they were afraid. They were afraid of Jesus, and so verse 17, they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And their response is not that different from the response of Jesus' disciples when they had seen him calm the storm in the boat. It says they were filled with great fear, and they talked to one another, and they said, who then is this? Now you might say, why were the townspeople so afraid of Jesus? Why did they want him to go away? I mean, he had just healed this man who was so troubled. Well, one reason the townspeople seem to want him to go away is that a large herd of pigs, a big chunk of their capital assets, had just been destroyed. Now, let's ask this question. Why did Jesus permit the evil spirits to go and destroy the pigs in the process of delivering the man? Uh, I think we could see at least two reasons. First, the destruction of the pigs demonstrated the magnitude of the deliverance. You see, when all these pigs, a huge herd of pigs, 2,000 of them, ran down the hill and into the lake, it was irrefutable evidence of the magnitude of what Jesus had done in delivering this man from literally an army of evil spirits that had invaded him and taken over his life. Jesus hadn't just delivered this man from one or two demons, but a whole army of them. But second, the destruction of the pigs forced the townspeople to clarify their priorities. See, here's the challenge that Jesus gave to the townspeople. Which matters more? A large herd of pigs, in other words, a big chunk of capital assets, or one lost and tormented human soul. Jesus cared more about the restoration of one lost and tormented human soul than he did about preserving the capital assets of a large region. You see, in Jesus' view, financial resources are not sacred things to be forever preserved their means to an end and the end is loving god and loving people Amen. verse 16 the townspeople were told what had happened to the demon possessed man and to the pigs and so they had to decide what mattered more to them the man or two thousand pigs now think about it how would you respond if Tomorrow morning, you got two pieces of news. Number one, the stock market has really crashed, and so all of your financial assets have been cut in half. So all the balances and every one of your accounts is half, and there, there's no expectation that they will recover. Second, the person you know 
who seemed farthest away from God and most deeply tormented has found peace with God through Jesus Christ. So here's the question. Would you spend the day rejoicing that one lost and tormented soul has been found or wringing your hands and anxiously wondering what to do because half your money has disappeared? That's a challenge that probably all of us might wrestle with. Right? But the townspeople decided that they were more concerned about the pigs they had lost than they were about the man who had been found. And so they feared Jesus and they asked him to go away. So that's the first response. They're afraid of Jesus. Uh, the other thing is, maybe they didn't really want this man to be healed. Maybe they didn't really want to deal with him as a human being. They wanted to just write him off and deal with him like a wild animal. But now they have to deal with him as a human being. But the man who had been healed responded in the opposite way. He didn't beg Jesus to go away. In fact, he did the opposite. He begged to go with Jesus. Verse 18, he begged him, the, the man who had been possessed with demons, begged him that he might be with him. Now, if you've been with us through the last few chapters of Mark, that phrase might ring a bell in your mind, that he might be with him. Because that's how Jesus described um, in, verse, uh, in chapter 3, verse 14, when Jesus appointed the 12 disciples, it says he appointed them so that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and cast out demons. And this man wants to be with Jesus, just like what Jesus called the 12 disciples to do, to be with him. That's the first part of their calling. So this is a great thing. This man wants to be a follower of Jesus. He didn't just fear Jesus' power. He was drawn by Jesus' compassion, and he wanted to go with Jesus wherever he went. The surprising thing is Jesus says no to his request. Now, you may have noticed there are four times in this chapter where someone begs Jesus to do something. Verse 10, the demon-possessed man begged him earnestly not to send the demons out of the country, and Jesus granted that request. He didn't immediately send the demons far, far away. In verse 12, the demons begged him, saying, send us to the pigs. And verse 13 says, he gave them permission. He granted that request too. Third, verse 17, the townspeople begged Jesus to depart from their area. And Jesus granted that request as well. Verse 18, it says he was getting into the boat, getting ready to go right back across the lake and leave their town. And then in verse 18, the man begs him that he might be with him, and Jesus says no. Verse 19 says he did not permit him. Jesus said no to the best prayer request of all. He said yes to the three bad requests, and he says no to the one good request from the one guy who actually gets it and who sees him for who he is. 
You see, sometimes God lets people have what they want. Like the townspeople wanted him to leave. Even when what they want is not what is actually best for them. And sometimes Jesus says no when one of his children asks him for a very good thing. If Jesus says no to a prayer that you have prayed, it doesn't necessarily mean that you prayed the wrong prayer or asked for something bad. Jesus here said no to a very good request that he might go and be with him because he had something better in mind. What did Jesus have in mind? Verse 19, Jesus says, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. This man who was homeless and out of his mind and living in the tombs became the first missionary among Gentiles in the Decapolis. It was a Gentile area of 10 cities commissioned by Jesus himself. See, Jesus had a plan for him to testify to all the people who had seen him go crazy and live this tormented existence. And Jesus wanted him to go back and be a living example of the power and mercy of Jesus himself so that they too could see who Jesus was. And this man, at this point, he even understood more about Jesus than the 12 disciples did. Because when Jesus calmed the storm on the lake, the disciples look at each other and they ask the right question. Who then is this? But they don't answer it. They don't yet have the answer to that question. They don't understand who Jesus is. But this man does. Because when Jesus says, go and tell how much the Lord has done for you, Verse 20 says he went away and began to proclaim how much Jesus had done for him. You see, this man understands that Jesus is the Lord. He understands Jesus can do what only God can do because he is the Lord. And the disciples would get that a little later on. And notice that this man didn't just go home to his friends. It says he went through the, in the Decapolis. That word Decapolis means 10 cities. It was a region east of the lake that was primarily uh, a non-Jewish region, a Gentile region. And he goes throughout that whole region testifying to the love, to the transforming power and the great love of Jesus. I mean, just imagine the people who had been frightened by him, who had tried to lock him up unsuccessfully now see him clothed in his right mind and testifying to the goodness of Jesus. What a powerful witness. He had been transformed by the love of Jesus and so he did the most natural thing in the world is telling others about what he had experienced. Finally, consider Jesus' love for this man. Consider the lengths that Jesus went to in order to rescue him from his plight. He took his disciples all the way across the lake through a storm that almost killed them into a bad neighborhood where no one would have wanted to go to deal with a man whom no one else wanted to deal with. And then he heals the man and he turns around and goes all the way back across the lake. 
Jesus went all the way across the lake and back for this one man, for this one lost soul. And then he left him behind as a living demonstration of his saving and healing power. But you know, Jesus did not only go to great lengths just for that one man. The Bible tells us that Jesus didn't just cross a lake to save us, but he crossed the barrier, came from heaven to earth. He came from a place of perfect peace and perfect joy to a place of darkness and chaos and anguish and evil and sin. And at the end of his life, we see Jesus looking a lot like this man in the tombs because Jesus was bound and tied up and he was beaten and bleeding and he was stripped naked and he was led out of the city up a lonely hillside and nailed to a cross. And why did he go through all of that? And why did he cross that huge barrier and come to that place of darkness and chaos and anguish? He came to identify with us. He came to bear our sin. He came to bring us out of the darkness and into the light. He came to die our death. And then he rose again victorious. His body was laid in a tomb, and then he rose up and came out of that tomb so that we might emerge with him from death and darkness and chaos into life and light and freedom and joy. If you've experienced that resurrection power of Jesus, go and tell how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you for your amazing grace, your amazing love that has come and found us out. Lord, I pray that each of us would experience your love seeking us out and finding us even in our deepest darkness and anguish and torment and shame. Thank you that you do not run away from us. Thank you for such a great salvation that this man experienced and that each of us can experience. And Lord, we pray that we might be like this man at the end, that we would joyfully testify to your saving and healing and restoring power all throughout the towns and cities and how you have had mercy on us. We pray these things in your name. Amen. This closing hymn is one of jubilation and we should sing it with joy in our hearts and a smile on our faces. Uh, take the insert in your hymnal and can it be that I should gain? Let's all stand.
I thank you very much. Do, do, you, want, do you want to just take it on your way out so you don't have to carry it around? I'll put it out there. Oh, I'll put it out there.
that's that's um, so there's a picture in the Yeah. Uh, this is when we lived in East Hartford, and I took the local bus in. 
Yeah, so I can get on the bus there at the end of Sapola. I get on the bus there at the end of Sapola. Near the back door of the bus, I was sitting over there because I was on the side like the most uh, efficient place for me to sit, right? So that's where I would sit. Typically, I'd have a book and I'd read a book. One morning, I'd get on, uh, and uh, up behind that normally this by the door, it's still the same level as you walk in. Hey, you're the same level. And when you get to that place, there's a couple of steps up. Engine and stuff is on the back of the same book as they have a so I see it's facing and then like a horseshoe. So as I get on the bus, there's two women, only two women, young, younger ladies. So one is sitting in one of those forward facing seats and the other is sitting across from her. The horseshoe's dying in the That don't make anything out of it. We're talking, you know, going on. I sit down like I normally do and I'm reading a book. Probably some fiction fantasy or whatever. And uh, they're talking about their weekend. And it's it's typical young lost people talking to boyfriends and parties and this and that. And at one point, one of the women says, My radar is up, right? And in the context, it was like, She's blaming God or something. You know, he was She's blaming God for her own choices. Right? And this is circumstances that born out of her choices. And all that hits me in the moment, right? And she keeps going. She says something again. I'm like, I don't want to turn around, Lord. I don't want to turn around. I'm reading my book. You know? Because they're pretty loud, black girls, right? Strong personalities. And I'm expecting if I even turn my shoulder, they're just going to tear me right? And we're like, not even Silverina, not Silverina. Right? So we had a long ride in the Hartford store. You know, like 15 minutes probably still. And so I finally, like the third problem, like, all right, Lord. <laughs> you mind if I tell you what I, I think might be going on? Every eye in the bus, if the heads turned around, they looked at me, other people had gotten on there in the back. It was like I had 40 sets of eyes on So I, I really, if you think about your brand new guy for something that's, that's negative, but why did that happen? God really loves you. He doesn't want bad things to happen. That's, that's bad belief. Something bad happens. Yeah. You talk to her. And she listened. Like I, I paused. And now I was waiting for her. She, she didn't break in. She didn't get accusatory or aggressive. But they listened to me all the way to Governor Trish. That's what I think. It's amazing. And I, I don't remember how much of the gospel God had to in there, but uh, yeah, that was one of those things where I'm not about that bold. When I feel that prompting from God, I feel like it's going to be different. She listened for seven, eight minutes, probably an hour and a half. 
didn't say anything. And so did 30 other people, you know, however many of them were. So, who knows what God did with it? That's not me. We don't have Sunday school today, so we're just kind of hanging out. Oh, great, great.
numbers are back to 11, but they did things so that together and face. So that they're so connected. So then Leah like knows, you know, all these ones up here. 